Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. I got two emotions going through me today. I'm so excited because the coach of the Bucks is going to join us live at 515, so I'm happy. And I'm so pissed off about the PGA Live thing because it's a bunch of crap and they're a bunch of sellouts. All right, let's get to the rest of today. This is the three at three on Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right, Wyatt, where do we start? Well, so we'll start with the Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin. They have issued an emergency appeal for blood donations, pleading with community members to make an appointment to donate blood in the coming days. This is a big deal. So normally they have a three-day supply of available blood for local hospitals. They have less than a one-day supply. 2,500 open appointments right now. A real impact on local hospitals. This could end up being devastating. They say 25% of their blood collection comes from high schoolers and college partners, meaning that right now they're usually in good shape, knowing that during the summer that supply kind of dries up. Every two seconds, someone needs life-saving blood to survive in this country. One donation can save up to three lives, help make a difference, make an appointment at one of the blood centers in our area. All right, what's next? Two of the biggest competing brands in golf have announced a merger. You're happy about this, right, John? Yeah, this is irritating as you know what. So PGA and the Live Tour, the Saudis and the Americans are merging. All lawsuits have been dropped. Greg's been talking about this in sports. We still don't know how uh, guys like Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson can rejoin the PGA Tour. That's all going to be sorted out. The PGA makes a lot of money because they will now join with this human rights-hating organization and league and get paid a lot of cash. One of their guys is actually going to be on the PGA board. (laughs) One of the Saudi guys that we've been saying is the devil is going to be on the board. That's like going to church and having a Satanist give the homily. I mean, what are we doing here? PGA Tour players caught off guard by this today, John. One calling it, quote, insanity, saying, quote, the live tour was dead in the water. It wasn't working. Now you're throwing them a life jacket. Is the moral of the story always just to take the money? It would appear yes. Yes. (laughs) You just answered it. Yes. I saw a tweet that said, live live golf, laugh golf, love golf, but spelled like uh, with the three letters. (laughs) That's very cute. That's my only take. That's great, Wyatt. <laughs> what else do we got? We got uh, we got royal news. We got Prince Harry becoming the first senior British royal to give evidence on a witness stand in count them, 132 Whoa. years. So Prince Harry has sued the uh, tabloids over there saying that his phone was hacked and they used other illicit means to get information about his personal life. And so he's suing him. He's taking him to court. And now he's facing questions in London's high court today in that case. And the publishers, by the way, they say, nah, we use legitimate means to get all the information that we had. This could play out over the course of several weeks. And it has been playing out over the course of many years. This this phone hacking scandal has been a major issue in British media and British politics for the better part of a decade. I learned about it when I studied abroad in London. I took a really cool British media history class. Oh, that is fascinating. That's pretty good stuff, right? Because even William was involved. There were allegations yeah. that William and his girl, William's girlfriend had her phone hacked. Yeah, and there was a a, a famous uh, missing persons case where they hacked that uh, missing girl's phone, and it gave the parents yeah, right. false hope. Um, should we talk more about the live tour? <laughs> Maybe we'll do that later. Blood pressure. We, I wish we could take our blood pressure in here in the studio. You just gotta, you gotta donate some blood. Just yeah, get rid of it. It'll be less yeah, pressure. I'm, I'm gonna need blood pretty soon. It is 3:14 at WTMJ. Up next, a fascinating story: illegal border crossings down 70 percent. Why?
What's going on there? ABC's Alex Stone is with us live after the break on WTMJ. Illegal border crossings are down 70% since the end of Title 42. ABC's Alex Stone has been on this story since immigration began. <laughs> that's a, really, was a very long time that's ago. That's a really, really long time ago. <laughs> Alex, what's behind this big number? Yeah, well, nobody really knows. And there are a lot of beliefs and theories. You know, some believe it's the, the law enforcement presence uh, along the border and uh, what Governor Abbott has done in Texas and what uh, some of the, the local sheriffs have done. Others say no, that it's the, the new rules under when Title Eight went back into place instead of Title 42. Now Title Eight uh, is what is in charge and that there were uh, new aspects of that. But new data out today from Homeland Security, uh, they're saying that illegal entries have gone down about 70% from their peak uh, right before the end of Title 42. Right now seeing uh, right about 3,500 to 3,700 uh, migrant encounters a day. They were seeing over 10,000 a day. Um, and there are the new rules. And uh, we, we heard a lot about them uh, as Title 42 was going away, that uh, if you enter the country illegally and claim asylum and you're denied, then there is a five-year ban on claiming asylum again under the new rules, having to show proof that they first tried to do it in another country and they were denied asylum there first. Uh, DHS is saying about a 1,000 people uh, have used the uh, the new app that they've got where you don't even step foot in the U.S., but you do it on the app beforehand saying, I want asylum. So maybe it's the organization aspect of it. Uh, and then you have to remember, these are the illegal entries that they know about, not the ones that they don't know about. Nonetheless, Border Patrol agents, John, are saying that, yes, it is calmer along the southern border, uh, that uh, San Diego sector, Tucson sector, uh, they've gotten relatively quiet. So what is going on? Everybody's got an idea and a theory of what it really is, though, and nobody knows. My producer wanted me to ask you what it was like when the Siberians turned into Eskimos and walked across the land bridge into Alaska. <laughs> Before it melted away. Let me tell you, the checkpoints there were crazy. <laughs> I did want to ask you, there in California, an interesting fight is taking shape, and Sacramento is kind of ground zero. What's going on there? Yeah, so two planes have arrived, uh, similar to what was seen in Martha's Vineyard and in Manhattan, uh, and the attorney general in California claims it is a state of Florida, the state of Florida, and Governor Ron DeSantis paying for the flights, uh, migrants uh, arriving and then being unloaded. Um, the AG is claiming, and now Governor Newsom in this political fight has gotten involved as well, that this could be kidnapping, felony kidnapping against uh, Governor DeSantis or members of the, the Florida government um, for these flights, claiming that the migrants are being uh, deceit fully put on the the planes that they're being promised work at the other end, but there's nothing for them. Nonetheless, though, Sacramento, where they're landing, right down the, the street from the uh, the, the capital, uh, the, the, the city is saying, hey, look, California's a border state, 40 million people, deals with illegal immigration every day, that this isn't something new, that they are more than welcome in the, the city of, of Sacramento. The mayor today saying this. Bring it on. Bring it on. Our community will never say no. Yeah, so faith-based groups today are saying they are more than willing to bring in the migrants to feed them, that they don't see this as a big burden like 
you know, smaller communities that don't deal with a lot of uh, of this, uh, like Martha's Vineyard or Manhattan, that California knows how to do it, and, and the mayor saying... This is how we roll. You bring people to our community who don't know where their hope lies, we will provide them hope. So the mayor today indicated, he said, if more planes come, it's fine. The city will uh, will deal with it. But still, you have the political comments as well from the attorney general and the the governor, California's governor, not running right now for president because Biden uh, is at least seems planning to stick around. It seems like he would like to be running for president. Governor DeSantis running for president. Two governors that have been butting heads big time over the last couple of months and now allegedly DeSantis sending these planes to California uh, from Texas and a lot of words going back and forth. It is interesting, Alex. Um, I respect your opinion on a lot of things. I want to ask you about something else. It's about live golf. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a golf guy, but so the PGA comes out and the PGA says, you know what? We've hated live golf. We've painted him as the devil. Human rights transgressions be damned. We're going to take the money and we're going to join forces. As a guy who I know follows human rights issues and relationships and the Saudis are accused of killing a journalist. What's your view on live golf and the PGA teaming up? Yeah, I mean, I haven't followed it real closely, but it's surprising, right? Uh, when the announcement came out today of uh, all of a sudden, what is it? Yeah, is it the PGA saying, let's make it go away and just uh, snatch it up? All I can tell you on the golf front, because I'm not a golfer, is about two weeks ago, I did speed golf one morning at about 5 a.m. Oh, for a story that's coming out on the 4th of July. And I could not walk normally for about the next four days <laughs> after they do uh, 18 holes of golf in about 45 minutes, four and a half miles. They, they sprint the entire thing and they love it. They do it twice a week. Whereas I was going up and down stairs going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so you did it, though? You gave it a shot? Yeah, well, I ran along with them. I wasn't playing, but they do no wow. uh, no practice swings. They use glow balls at about five in the morning to, to get out there and do it. Do they carry uh, their clubs? Yeah, well, they got tiny little bags that they run with, and they carry like four <laughs> clubs, and yeah. that's it. And they'll tell you they shoot just as well playing speed golf as they do in a regular round of golf, and they say all the the practice swings and the. Huh. Standing around isn't needed. A lot of guys don't like it, though, men and women, because then they have to go home to their spouse and say you don't need six hours to play a round of golf. Oh, that's you a can real, do it in 45 that's minutes. That's a really, really good point. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the thing. I mean, it's expensive, but it also is so time-consuming, Alex. The way you're describing, though, uh, it just shaves that it's to a, a quarter. It's a workout. They're all executives. They, they do it, and then they shower and go into work. Wow. Uh, and they're there all day, and they get a four-and-a-half-mile run, and they, they get a round of golf in. I mean, here I was standing there going, okay, are we drinking beer at 5 a.m.? <laughs> exactly. Like, where's the cart? Yes. Uh, yes. Any of that. None of it. Where's the beverage cart? ABC's right. Alex Stone, he covers it all. I think we covered three <laughs> different things, and you were prepared for one of them, but as always, did a great job. Alex, thank you so much. You got it. Thanks, John. I don't take this lightly, you know, and um, I'm excited to get to work, and um, we're going to have a lot of fun this year. Adrian Griffin officially introduced as the new head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks earlier today. WTMJ's Greg Matzik was there for the big press conference. Quite an event today, Greg. I, I've been on to a lot of these with the Bucks. If I'm going back in my history, I think yeah. this is nearly a baker's dozen for me. Wow. But <laughs> there's been a lot of coaching change, but a lot of excitement here as well. So the whole deal was held at Gather, which is in the Deer District, in this beautiful building and Ceiling high windows, right? 40, 50 feet in the air overlooking the plaza. You see Pfizer form in the background. 
He had all the Bucks employees were in the room, separated by a riser and TV cameras, media stationed in front of, of the risers and the Bucks employees. And then a parade of Bucks players came in and sat in the front row as John Horst and Adrian Griffin sat at one table. Zora Stevenson sort of emceed the whole event from a podium. But it was really a lot of Adrian Griffin and John Horst sort of talking back and forth about the process of landing on Griffin as their next head coach. And Horst admitted they had about 20 people brought in. They narrowed it down. They brought in six for another round of interviews. And Griffin was one of three to make it to that final step, which included a meeting with Giannis. And they spoke openly about it. I had a chance to talk with Griffin afterwards. This is just he and I, a little one-on-one for about four and a half minutes. Keep in mind, Griffin was a finalist, and his mentor and previous head coach, Nick Nurse, was also linked to the Bucks' job, which is kind of an interesting dynamic in the whole deal. Can you walk me through the process from your angle? We we heard a little bit from John Horst and what the process was like, Mm -hmm. but that's on one side of it. I'm curious to know what you were experiencing going through the whole process. Well, again, I think it's uh, credit to John and his uh, staff. I thought they created, like, the perfect uh, platform for me, you know. Uh, I was able to really take my time and articulate my vision. Like we, we sat down, we, we talked for, uh, you know, a while about philosophy and, and offense and defense and coverages. And then uh, they allowed me to get on, you know, the board and draw plays and like, oh, this would be great for, for Giannis. And when teams do this, we're going to do that. And this is how teams are playing. And then I would get, you know, get on the bo- uh, the edits. And, I'm I, you know, I, one thing I learned for uh, being on these interviews for so long, uh, getting passed up. You get really good at, you know, your presentation. And uh, I never uh, believe in coming empty-handed, you know, so I had a presentation together. Uh, they allowed me to, to show them that presentation uh, with film and uh, just my analysis uh, of the team and how I can help the team. And then, and, and, you know, in the second interview, it was the same. You know, I was able to, uh, you know, they gave me a, a project, uh, um, you know, kind of just breaking down some uh, game film. And um, so it really allowed me to showcase my expertise of being in the NBA for 25 years. And I was able to put that on display. So I thought I was unique as far as what, what you know, John, uh, what he did for me. It just it really made me feel comfortable in my my my, my own uh, elements, uh, so to speak. When a mentor of yours is also involved in a process looking for a head coaching job, what are those conversations yeah. between you two like, you and Nick? You know, you're right. He, he's, he's a mentor for sure. Like, he's a big brother, you know. Just really, I can't say enough about Coach Nurse, you know. He's really invested in my career. Um, there were times where he, he, he would say, hey, you're coaching tonight. You know, and I coached a game in the bubble. Uh, this past season, I coached a couple games. You know, we were kind of, uh, you know, in the middle of the, you know, of the Black Lives Matter a few years ago. But, man, he didn't just talk to talk. You know, he really walked it. I mean, he, he's been such an uh, instru- instru- instrumental part of uh, my, uh, you know, coaching uh, uh, career. Uh, and, again, like, I have a special bond with him. We, we won uh, a championship together, and then we literally walked, you know, walked and received our PhDs together uh, last summer. So I can't say it enough about him. Did you build the wall against Giannis, no, or did he build no, the wall like, against Giannis? Like, coach Nurse is the mastermind, you know, and, and we just try, you know, as assistant coach, you, 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 uh, you do your job, and, and your job is to help the, the uh, head coach win games. Uh, I think the beauty of being on the team is it doesn't matter who, 
who gets the credit. You know, um, when you win, everyone wins together. You know, and obviously you lose together. But we did a lot of winning over the last five years. Um, I, I learned so much under uh, Coach Nurse. I think the thing with Coach Nurse is uh, he's so uh, creative. He's not – he was never scared to try something new. And he encouraged the assistant coaches to do so. So sometimes we'd come in and say, Coach, I want to try this. And he'd be like, man, it's awesome. Let's go for it. You know, and he would always have so many great ideas, and we tried it, and, and if it worked, we kept it. If it didn't, you know, we kind of scrapped it and went to the next thing. Well, you get to XL for about a day, right? Yeah. Then you got to find a house. Yeah. Then you get out to Vegas, yeah. and you got the draft and yeah. all that. So yeah. it's all just kind of beginning, right. right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a little overwhelming, uh, but this is what, I, you know, the fun part of it. it uh, I've waited a long, long time for this, and I'm just extremely, uh, you know, humbled. Uh, it's a lot, you know. Uh, don't don't let anyone tell you from going from assistant coach to head coach. It, it's different responsibilities. You know, uh, you have a, a, you know you're going to be asked for your input on a lot more things, and, and you're going to wear a lot of different hats. But it's been so fun. Like the the Milwaukee uh, organization is first class. They've just helped me from day one. You know, I, I feel like I've just hit the ground running. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you. Welcome Thank back. You. Nice Thank to see you. Thank you, Adrian. Thank, Thank you. That was. That was a fascinating interview. Seems like a pretty chill guy. Seems like a very smart guy. Very appreciative of his opportunity. And yeah. no head coaching experience. And John Horst talked about that and said, you know what? He does have NBA experience in terms of playing, yeah. which is experience that most of our coaches that come through here don't have. It's a good point. With the exception of Larry Kristowiak, Terry Porter. Think about Scott Skiles. Okay, maybe a lot of Bucks coaches have had that. But nonetheless, <laughs> but not recently. Kidd as well. Uh, but of the others who are finalists, he's the only one who played in the NBA. That's fascinating that Nick Nurse, his mentor, teacher, was also a finalist for the job, and I, Adrian know, gets it, the job. And some had read, rumored and reported that Nick Nurse had pulled his name out of it. I, and maybe that was just sort of a nod to his guy, because he maybe. felt really strong. That, because Nurse was linked to multiple job yeah. opportunities. Griffin yeah. wasn't necessarily. And maybe this was a great way to you know sort of split the difference and say, I got a great opportunity in Philly. That's where Nick Nurse is. Griffin's all eyes on the Bucks. Uh, maybe, just maybe, that's kind of how it worked out. But he seems very appreciative of the opportunity. Yeah, that came through. I'm looking forward to uh, watching his path for sure.